Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. There is no song like the song of the redeemed. God puts a song in our heart. We're back on track going through the Bible. I hope you're caught up on your reading. If you're not, just keep on plowing. Sometimes the ground's harder than others. Today, we're in the book of Job. Open your Bibles to the book of Job, chapter one. Keep them open. Understanding this book, you need to keep a few things in mind. First of all, it's an oriental book filled with the thoughts and expressions of Eastern people. Also, it's a poetical book, except for chapters one and two, and chapter 42, verses seven through 27, Hebrew poetry, and their, their poetry is not like our poetry, so you gotta keep that in mind. And the third thing is, this book wrestles with the difficult problem of why God allows the righteous to suffer. Now, these three characteristics alone make the book of Job difficult to read and interpret, but keep that in mind as you're reading it. You can break it down into three parts. First three chapters talk about Job's distress. Part two, Job's defense is chapters four through 37. And part three, Job's deliverance, chapters 38 to 42. In a moment, I'm going to read the first five verses, I'm going to reference chapters one and two, so you might want to keep your Bibles open there. When his wife died, he didn't know at first how he was going to survive. Even though he was a minister and had helped many others through times of crisis, he now faced his own personal moment of truth. How would he reconcile his own loss with the Christian faith he claimed to believe? What would he say to the grieving congregation? The year was 1927, the place, Aberdeen, Scotland. The man, author John Gossip, pastor of Beech Grove Church. He was 54 years old. He was at the height of his ministry. Historians tell us that he was a humble, sincere man possessing a keen wit deeply devoted to his family and his friends. There was a part of him that was a little eccentric because he sometimes would scandalize his serious Scottish congregation by appearing in public with a floppy fisherman's hat perched on his head. Believe it or not, he was a man of strong opinions who never held back from expressing them to any and all who cared to listen. History tells us that he was beloved as a pastor and preacher. In fact, preaching-wise, he's remembered for one particular sermon that he preached in 1927. Widely regarded as one of the greatest ever preached, it was the first sermon he delivered after his wife quickly or suddenly died. He entitled the message, but when life tumbles in, what then? And in it, he struggled to reconcile his Christian faith with the loss of a loved one's. But I want to read some of his words. 
He said, I do not understand this life of ours, but still less can I comprehend how people in trouble and loss and bereavement can fling away peevishly from the Christian faith. In God's name, fling to what? Have we not lost enough without losing that too? So many people's religion is a fair weather affair, as he put it. A little rain and it runs and crumbles, a touch of strain and it snaps. But if we turn from faith in time of trouble, what shall we turn to? Have we not lost enough without losing that too? You people in the sunshine may believe the faith, but we in the shadow must, must believe it. We have nothing else. And as he came to the end of his sermon, he said, I don't think you need to be afraid of life. Our hearts are very frail, and there are places where the road is very steep and very lonely, but we have a wonderful God. So many people's religion is a fair weather affair. Look with me in chapter one of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all in the people of the east." And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his own, on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, Thus, Job did regularly. Now, the book of Job is a short, direct, or has a short, direct, simple beginning. It's almost like it starts the film on fast forward, hyperspeed. You run all his entire life here in four or five verses. And yet, these five verses tell us a couple of things about him. I didn't write this down for you. I'm going to get to that outline, so don't worry. Three things about Job. First of all, he was righteous. I mean, you could talk all day about the words in verse one, blameless, upright, fearing God, shunning evil. He's as good a man as you'll find in all of the Bible. Obviously, he wasn't perfect, but he was definitely a righteous man. He was also a rich man. You see what he owned in verses two and three. I mean, he had a lot of camels and donkeys and all kinds of sheep and all kinds of things. And those verses list his asset. And the third thing, he was a religious man. Verses four and five, it said he offered sacrifices daily. And, and here's, a, here's a rare creature, a very rare creature, a wealthy man who loves God more than he loves his money. And not only that, but a father who takes responsibility for the spiritual welfare of his own family. And these, the point of these verses is very clear. According to the world standards, Job was successful. By God's standards, he was righteous. And here's a man who truly had it all. He was wealthy, he was godly, he was popular. You couldn't find a person who would say a bad word about Job. 
Now that fact is absolutely crucial for you to understand the rest of the book. Because what happened to Job happened because he was a good man. Wasn't because he was a bad man. Nothing in the book of Job makes sense unless this is true. Job is a case study in the suffering of the righteous. As hard as it may be to understand, it was his righteousness and his prosperity that brought on the suffering. And yet the suffering was undeserved in the truest sense of the word. Now, I don't have time to read the rest of chapter one, so I'm going to paraphrase it for you and let you hear what happened. The scene shifts from heaven to earth. Well, actually, Satan, in verse six, Satan comes before God and basically says, the only reason Job serves you is because you blessed him. And you take away all those blessings and he will curse you. And God said, no, he's not. And in a moment of great happiness, God says, you, can, I, you can't harm Job or you can't kill Job but God's permission to put Job to the test. And it happens in a time when there's a big family reunion and feasting and, and, and all kinds of wonderful things happening according to verses 13. And in a moment of great happiness, when you would least expect it, Satan strikes. And notice what happens. First, the Sabaeans steal Job's livestock, kill all of his servants in verses 14 and 15. Second, a fire of God destroys his sheep and kills his servants, verse 16. Third, the Chaldeans steal his camels and kill his servants, verse 17. And fourth, a great wind hits his house where his children are feasting and kills them all, verses 18 and 19. And when the tragedy strikes, it's while he was still speaking. It's like it just happens one right after another. And isn't that the way it usually happens? He lost his wealth, his empire, his workers, his children, and all of us can relate, not maybe to that extreme of tragedy, but you can relate that when it rains, it pours. Or when something bad happens, about the time you think, well, nothing worse can happen, then it gets worse, doesn't it? I think I can get a witness today. <laughs> Just when it seems that things can't get any more terrible, the bottom falls out. And yet... We see Job trusting God. So, what can we learn from this? Well, let's begin by looking at what trusting God will not do. Now you can fill in the blanks. What trusting God will not do. Well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought that was the answer to all. You just trust God and everything will be okay. It won't. And you're going to see why now. Trusting God is still the answer, but let's talk about what it doesn't do first, okay? First of all, it will not eliminate the pain. It will not eliminate the pain. Job was nearly crushed by the pain of suffering. He tore his clothes. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground when he heard that his children had died. This is in verse 20. His physical ailments in chapter 2, he is struck with boils that are so painful that he used broken pottery as instruments in his homemade surgery. 
You can read in verses seven and eight in chapter two. And yet in the midst of such pain and heartache, you find Job issued some of the greatest statements. For example, in verse 21 of chapter one, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In chapter two, verse 10, shall we accept good from God and not adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. I'm afraid that I haven't passed that test. How is it that a man can choose such great faith and still feel such great pain? How else is it going to be? If we take the risk of loving those people around us, the grief is going to be tremendous when we lose those loved ones. So the alternative to grief is to never love anybody. That's not worth it, is it? Second thing, trusting God will not end the questions. <laughs> when you look in the book of Job, two chapters of great faith in chapters one and two are followed immediately by 35 chapters of questions. Just because something bad's happened and you trust God doesn't mean all the questions go away. I've got a lot of questions for God. And Job wasn't alone in his questions. I mean, you look through the Bible. Jeremiah, for example, couldn't preach without weeping, questioning how God could have allowed such despair. David wrestled with questions for years, hiding from Saul, wondering, was the prophecy that Samuel shared about him becoming king, was it ever going to become true? In fact, if you remember how he began Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Paul wasted two years in Caesarea in prison, right in the middle of his best church planting years. And maybe that's where he learned that the Holy Spirit would take over his desperate prayers when he wrote in Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searched our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The questions about suffering even reach the mouth of Jesus. He genuinely wrestled with the internal agony before the crucifixion. Do I really have to do this? That's the paraphrase of it. Under such stress that blood vessels popped in his forehead. Is there no other way you can look it up in Luke 22, verses 42 and 43? We're always going to have questions. And folks, I want to tell you there are no answers. Not this side of heaven. I remember reading about when the disciples, I didn't remember it, I read about it. The disciples asked Jesus, I mean, Jesus told him he was going to die and they began asking all these questions. Where are you going and how are we going to do this? And, how? and Jesus said, when I come again, you will no longer ask me anything. There's an old song that says, we'll understand it better by and by. I got questions. I still have questions about some things in my own life. Lord, why? Why did you send me there? Why, why this and why that and why this? So just because you trust God doesn't mean you're not ever going to have any questions. 
There's a third thing. Trusting God will not explain the reason for your suffering. The book of Job presents the most unusual picture. The God of all the universe entertains an audience with Satan. And the subject of this celestial conversation is nearly a nearly flawless man and how he might be tortured. It's a test fit for a Roman Colosseum and God himself takes a seat to see how much of a beating this overpowered one can take. And we don't like anything about this story. I don't like this book. I'm just gonna tell you, I don't like it. And I know you don't either. We don't like God having a conversation with the enemy. We don't like God watching from the sidelines. We don't enjoy the results of the bloodletting. Nothing about this story seems to make sense. And it's certainly not satisfying. But that's part of the point. Suffering doesn't make sense either. The more natural expectation in life is spelled out in the first paragraph. We want the first five verses of Job. That's what we want. I, I want to live the first five verses of Job, just like you do. We want every baby to have a good family, a good childhood, a good education, eventually a fulfilling and well-compensated job, a good home, a retirement set against the sunset of a perfect life. We want the first paragraph, which tells us this man was blameless and upright and righteous and the greatest man among his people. He was a man without suffering. That's what we want. I don't want to suffer. Neither do you. <laughs> and our desire for such a life soon collides with reality, doesn't it? And suffering always comes well armed with grief and hardship and misfortune and illness and crisis and tragedy and more. It pays no attention to your age or to your sex or to your nationality or the size of your bank accounts. And in the midst of hardship, faith is still an option even if it appears illogical to choose faith. There are some people that are going to say, you are absolutely out of your mind trusting God during this time. That's where his friends come in. Now, they didn't say it quite like that. But they try to blame everything. Job, you must have done something wrong or this wouldn't be happening to you. And you know what? Everyone in this room at some point but kind of believes, you know, as long as I serve God, nothing bad's going to happen to me. But then something bad happens because we live in a world cursed by sin. And God, yeah, God allows it. I don't like it either. Job's wife didn't even, his friends come in and all of them say, you know, you can't trust God in all this. And then even his wife comes in and says, your faith is nonsense. In fact, the only line that's recorded by his wife is verse nine of chapter two. And she says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Boy, that'd be an encouraging word from your spouse, wouldn't it? <laughs> Why don't you just die? A lot of things about faith don't make sense to people who don't know God. They didn't make sense to them. Eventually, God would work his greatest triumph through what appeared to be his greatest loss. Paul wrote it this way, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. 
And despite all the reasons why Job might not have chosen faith in the midst of his suffering, he chose to trust God anyway. And by doing so, he made the better choice by far and survived this season of his grief. His choices also illustrate the wonderful things that faith will do for us. And so let's look at that for a moment. What trusting God will do for you. Instead of focusing on what we don't know, we need to focus on what we do know. We really do. And that's how when you trust God, you say, you know, there are a lot of questions I don't understand and I don't have the answer for and I don't know and I don't like it. But I'm going to trust in what I do know. So the first thing is trusting God will remind you that God is in control. What a tough choice. When we choose faith, we trust that the very God who allowed the difficult circumstances in the first place. (laughs) And when you look carefully at Job's story, the only one in complete control of all the events is God. Throughout the entire event, God is always in control. Choosing faith doesn't allow God to be in control. It only reminds us that he is in control. Did you hear me? Choosing faith does not allow God to be in control. He's already in control whether you choose him or not. And you need to understand that. It reminds us God's in control. You study the conversation between God and Satan, Job would would have struggled with that conversation. He wouldn't have liked that conversation. He would have, it wouldn't have made sense to him, but there's no doubt that the conversation was crystal clear to God. Satan didn't trick God. God did not misunderstand. God carefully weighed the options, considered the ramifications, and made a choice. At no time was God out of control. And what's going on in this world right now, God has never been out of control. I don't understand why some people respond some way to this virus and some don't. I don't understand why some of the people that have been taken, but I do know that God has never been out of control. I don't understand all this junk going on in the election. I just know God's still in control. And what are our options in the midst of out of control suffering? What are your options? Well, for one, you could reject the God who allows suffering. And there are lots of people who do that. How could God allow this? I reject a God that I want to tell you, you can reject God all you want. He's still in control. <laughs> On the other hand, we can trust the one who in all creation that remains in control is God. And those Suffering doesn't make sense, and faith in the midst of suffering seems to make even less sense. Placing your life in the hands of the only God who can take care of you in this world and in the next is ultimately the only logical action a person can ever take. It's a fact that humans are control freaks. (laughs) And you take away their control... And you take away their integrity or their purpose. The devil knows this. He's always using it. It's, he tried it with Job by challenging God. God he said, God, if, if you take Job's control away over his own life, 
He'll turn his back on you. And the devil does the same thing to us. He tries to knock our lives out of balance when we least expect it, causing frustration and disappointments toward God, even towards people around us. But Job's story shows that we've got to stand firm. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just hold on to the faith you have. Don't let go of it. Pain doesn't go away. The questions don't go away. The logical explanation is not there. But I still know that God's character has not changed. So the second thing is trusting God will be a rare gift to God. Anybody can sing a song of praise on a good day. All of us do that. But it takes a person of tremendous faith and tremendous spiritual maturity to sing those same songs of praise on the bad days. If you can pull it off, you'll give God a precious gift of worship that may be unlike any gift you would ever give him again. Somebody put it this way, the sweetest songs often come from broken hearts. Job was wise enough to know that God had controlled the good days and the success of his life just as surely as God was now controlling the bad days. Beyond that, Job learned a lesson that you and I need to remember in times of suffering is that nothing about your present circumstances, nothing about your present circumstances, whether they be good or bad, has changed the first thing about the nature and character of God. God is still the same today, just as he was the same yesterday and the same he will be tomorrow. God is always worthy of our praise. And in the midst of the worst of it, he knew so little that seemed secure. Job hug hung. <laughs> Job hung onto one truth. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand up on the earth. That's in Job 19:25. The only thing he had to hold on to, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that he will stand up on the earth in that day. Now we probably never would have remembered that phrase by him if we didn't ever have any bad circumstances. And if you hadn't seen the circumstances that he was in, you probably would not have remembered that. But you know what? Job's not the last guy in the Bible to do this. You ever thought about what Paul went through? And yet he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And right before he wrote those words, they were wrongly accused in Philippi. They were beaten severely, thrown into painful stocks in a dungeon. And what were they doing at midnight? Acts chapter 16 says they were singing their songs of praise to the same God who had let them go through a Job-like day. And during the midnight song service, a miraculous earthquake came, just enough power to free the men but not kill them. And that single day of suffering coupled with the way these two men reacted to that suffering created a church in Philippi that would help change the world. 
It's one of the greatest gifts either man or woman can give their Savior. You watch Jesus as he struggled on the way to the cross. The burden of the task, the unspeakable pain of the crucifixion, and yet through it all, he committed his life to the will of the Father and never let his spirit be committed anywhere else. If you're in the midst of suffering, I know the pain is real. I know the questions are real. But you have an opportunity. You can still say, God, I still worship you and I still love you and I still trust you. You see, God sees the big picture. All we get is a snapshot. The last thing I want you to know that trusting God will bring you closer to God. Job didn't know it yet, but he was on his way to the most intimate encounter with God that he would ever have in his lifetime. And though the season of suffering had fallen upon him, he was starting a a journey that would lead to his greatest understanding of who God was. You see, the road of suffering was the only road that would lead him to a more intimate encounter with God. And God restored him in so many ways and blessed him even beyond what he'd been blessed before. You know, it's it's unfortunate that not every person comes closer to God on the road to suffering. In fact, some people use it to go the opposite direction from God. They don't get better, they get bitter. Pharaoh, for example, destroyed his entire country when he refused to acknowledge God in the midst of the pre-exodus suffering. Most of the kings that ruled the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah, most of them could not find faith in the midst of various hardships and both kingdoms fell as a direct result of their faithlessness. There was a rich man who came to Jesus and wanted to follow him but was not willing to suffer the loss of material wealth in order to follow Jesus. But you know what, on the other side, for every one of those people who lost that opportunity, God shows us in the scripture those with success stories. All of the patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, suffered for decades before God's faithfulness brought them closer. (laughs) David would become more than a king He became the most beloved songwriter in the history of faith and most of his great psalms came straight out of the seasons of suffering. Even the disciples after the days of popularity dissipated. All of them suffered. But what changed their life? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection changed the worst weekend of their lives into victory. And to say that they learned more about God through that weekend would be an understatement. They found that Jesus, that the Jesus they had followed was the confirmed Christ, the Son of God, a Messiah who faced great suffering with great courage. Ever since, those who have suffered and looked for God have been finding hope in the Savior who died for them.
So you have a choice. You have a choice. Faith is a choice. It's trusting. Even when you don't understand, you trust. Even when you don't like it, you trust. Even when that's painful, you trust. And if you don't do that, where do you go? Where do you go? Some people go try to drown their sorrows. Some people take drugs to escape escape the reality. Some people become so bitter, they run from God, they become so anti-God. And I'm thinking, you know, you can only run that road so far and then you're gonna face God one day. Then what are you gonna do? (laughs) So folks, today... I would dare say that all of us, to some extent, have had some difficult days, whether losing loved ones, or losing jobs, or losing, I don't know what the suffering looks like. What's suffering to you may not be suffering to me. But you have a choice. You either turn to God or you turn away from him. Job would say, If you really believe God owns everything, then he can have anything of yours he wants at any time, including your family. (laughs) I didn't say it was easy. But I can tell you this, that the only hope we have is Jesus Christ, who died for our sin, who gives us hope, And one day, it's going to take us off of this cursed, sin-infested world. And while we're on this world, it rains on the just and the unjust. It can happen to any of us. None of us are immune. And so, if you think, you know, now there is a, sometimes we suffer the consequences of our sin and but God always has a way of saying you know it's not permanent but I want to tell you something none of us would ever say because some tragedy happens to somebody's life well they must have done something really bad don't stand next to Job and talk about that Standing next to Job and talking about that would be like standing next to Noah and talking about some little flood we had right here in Lubbock. (laughs) Now, let me tell you about the flood of 1984, whatever. Job says, you really want, I mean, Noah says, you really want to talk about floods? (laughs) (laughs) Folks, I don't have all the answers. But it breaks my heart when I see people who get angry with God because all the circumstances do not go their way. And because it's unfair. Life is unfair. We live in an unfair world. It's cursed. Sin. We're the ones that brought it on. We're the ones that brought on death. God never intended for us to die. Sin brought death. And so when stuff happens to us, really the only place we can hold on to that has any substance and is anchors us is God. Would you bow your heads with me?
Lord, I know that there are people who need to receive Christ today. Some of them have been bitter, mad at you for a long time. Would you help them see that you see the big picture and we don't? Would you help them come to you by asking for your forgiveness and placing faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Lord, I I, I pray for the, the believers, the Christians, the church people. A lot of them have suffered this year. Lost loved ones, lost jobs, maybe gotten a bad report about their health. And Lord, we don't like that stuff. But we come to you now, trusting you because you're the only one we can turn to. There's no one else that gives us any hope. There's no hope for eternity except through you. Yeah, you can handle it when we get mad about it. I'm sure Job, he wasn't real fond of what was going on, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to keep our trust and our faith in you today. I pray for those that might need a church home. Thank you for these wonderful people. I pray for those that need to be baptized. (laughs) It's a simple act of obedience to proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray for those today whose hearts are broken who are suffering today, whose whose future is uncertain as far as the life on this earth goes because they're so desperately sick. God, I pray you'd remind them that this life is so short compared to the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. So Lord, I, I pray that people would be drawn closer to you today. If you're watching online, you need somebody to pray with you or you want to talk to somebody about a commitment to Jesus, just hit the connect button or I need prayer button. Somebody will will reach out to you, I promise. There'll be some of us here at the front after we're dismissed with our mask on and be glad to pray with you or talk to you about a commitment to Jesus. Maybe you can indicate it on the card that you filled out. It says, my commitment today is this. You can drop it in the boxes as you leave today. Lord, we thank you for your word. Even though it's a difficult, difficult book to read, thank you for the book of Job. And Lord, I pray for those today who are struggling that they might choose you instead of walking away. Help us to be gracious to people who are, who are suffering. Not trying to wonder why they might be, but just to be gracious because we know, Lord, it could happen to us at any moment. So we trust you, God. We trust you today. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.